When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You are listening to Missed Apex iRacing Podcast. Let's get faster. Welcome to Missed Apex iRacing Podcast, part of the Missed Apex Motorsport Podcast and Content Network. Find all our stuff at MissedApex.net. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by, in iRating order, Brad Philpot. How's it going, Brad? Good evening, Spanners. It's going really well. Happy to sit down and chat to you guys about some esports. Okay, so we're going in iRating order. Do you want to flex your iRating for us? I think it's 6.6k at the moment. I'm trying to build it back up. So aiming for seven. 6.6k? What percentage does that put you in? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think it's top 30 in the UK around that. Mm, Blimey. All right. Well, Matt, two rumpets. You're not top 30 in Brooklyn, are you? No, but I'm over 2,000. So that's not exactly. Oh, that's a flex. So you're higher than me. I am currently at 1,900 and... I discovered a weird thing after last week saying that my safety rating was in the twos because, you know, we were talking about me getting my A license. It's over three, isn't it, for it to be automatic at the end of the season? I think so. And then it's four for an immediate um, for an immediate promotion. So we found out yesterday that I rating doesn't just do safety rating based on like the race you've had and the incidents you've had entirely. It also does little jumps to stop you going up and down licenses. So I was at 2.9 yesterday and I had a very clean race. I think I had a 0x and it jumped straight up to 365, 3.65. Yeah, whenever you get around going up a whole number or down a whole number, it'll bump you an extra half a point just to cut down on the noise and make sure that it's signal. Did you know that, Brad? No, I had... I had no idea, but that's also because, as I've mentioned before, I haven't thought about safety rating in about five years. <laughs> so I'm now optimistic that my A license will just kind of appear. I've got all the NPR. I've done the four qualifying races now. And after Alton Park and Zolder, which just destroyed safety rating, actually, the last two tracks have been all right, haven't they? It Was it Imola? No, Imola was terrible because it was death by 1x. But Canada surprisingly i thought montreal in the f3 would just be carnage but the two races i've done it's been all right matt it's been quite civil if you can avoid the trouble you're not 1x 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 because there's a a wall there yeah it's usually just the first lap cold tires just gotta kind of be a little bit careful and and after that i've noticed and i don't know if it's just because i'm in a different split 
uh, than last season, but it does seem like the driving standards have gotten a little bit better in the F3. Less worse. Slightly less of the crazy. (laughs) Slightly less worse, although it was coming from a a very crazy place. Are you doing much F3 at the moment, Brad? I'm not doing much anything. I haven't actually had a simulator in the last three weeks, um, and I haven't done F3 uh, for a long time, even even when I had it. So um, when I eventually get it back, it will be... Uh, Formula One again, I guess. Maybe some Formula Renault 3.5. People are trying to entice me into that. Okay, so the appealing thing about the Formula Renault 2.0 and the F3 is there's quite a big size of of field. If you go there in the evening, you're going to have at least five or six splits in the F3, uh, maybe a, maybe three or four in the Formula Renault 2.0, and then in the Mazdas, in the MX-5, I really like that because there was like 12. So you're guaranteed kind of close racing. In the F1... It's generally one split, isn't it? And it doesn't always go official. Do you not find that that just means you get a bit of a like a rubbish field spread? It, it just means that all the races through the week are practice races. So, all right. Um, so you you just don't need to worry too much about them if they don't go official. Just use them as a practice. So you've gone soft, and you're doing you're just doing unofficial races to save your safety rating and your. It I just rating. means it basically it means when I do the race, the big race of the week it really counts and you're very well prepared for it and you you just pay lots of attention to it. So you're just very well practiced when you when you enter it. Um, so what's the situation with the Renault 3.5 then? Is that also sparsely populated? And who? Who is strong arming you over there? So I think it's much more highly populated than the Formula One. I think it's it's very um it is a quite a quite a popular series. I haven't actually tried them in a few years, so I don't know whether they're any good. I know there's, you get a certain number of DRS uses per race. So it's kind of like you can save them up and use them when you want, I believe, but I'm being strong armed by my friend, Tom, um, who I, I do quite a lot of single seater races with, but also Ramon Pinero, who keeps raving about them. Is it faster than the F3 then? Yes. It's, it's kind of formula two levels of speed. So it's uh, one step below the F1. Okay. So that's interesting in the missed apex series and swarm as a group, we started off with the MX-5, moved to the Renault 2.0, and then the F3. I had assumed that the natural progression would eventually maybe be the F1. So I'll be interested to see if you think the 3.5 is a step up. Yeah, I think because they're they're naturally aspirated and they've just got a lot of a lot of grip as well, aero and mechanical. I hear that they're just really good fun. So I'll just reserve judgment until I've actually done it. Um, so looking forward to, to giving it a try, but I do find, I don't know about you guys. I, I need to focus on one series to do well at it. If I'm jumping in all different cars, I'm never, I'm never good enough to, you know, never happy with my performance. I'd rather just focus for a whole week on Mm. one particular car. So from a content point of view, I've been trying to just jump in and do more stuff or at least explore iRacing. So I had a, a brief fascination with the Lucas oil trucks on the, the rallycross jumping over those big jumps. Uh, I've been trying out doing ovals as well. The kids, my two kids, my nine-year-old and uh, 10-year-old, are really into the ovals at the moment. They've been kind of reigniting their their love for jumping into the sim. But the ovals are great because it's something they can just do without being too discouraged. When you do the road courses, the braking is by far the hardest aspect of iRacing and the hardest aspect to get right. So I've been putting my little V, my nine-year-old, into the MX-5 at the Charlotte Roval, but before I did that, I jumped in and I tried to to do a an MX5 race. And after a lap, I was like, "This is it doesn't break, <laughs> it doesn't turn. I hate it." 
But I remember when we were doing MX-5s, Brad, you were already very, very experienced in in iRacing in general, and you came and sort of almost charitably jumped on our MX-5 sessions. What was that like going kind of back down to the rookie road class? Yeah, it was a while ago now, but I just remember it, it felt exactly as you just described. It's just everything feels worse. It feels like the car isn't doing what you're telling it to because you've become so accustomed to something which is responsive that slows down quickly, turns when you tell it to turn, doesn't need that much steering lock, just has loads more grip. So yeah, I always find it harder going down to a car like that that's on road tires, no downforce, um, and just feels, feels slow. It's like It feels like you're driving around with the brakes on. (laughs) Uh, But Matt, I remember at the time doing those MX-5s, it definitely didn't feel like that going up. And I think this is the theme with iRacing progression. On the way up, everything feels, you know, intense. It felt so realistic. But when I went back, it felt like like a, a toy car almost. Well, I think it's just you get used to things coming at you more quickly. And I think, as Brad says, that you can get very dialed into a single car and then any other car is not going to feel good because it's simply you're having to think more about making it do what you want. You're having to relearn how to manipulate the car into doing what you want. Yeah, but yeah. I will say, I think the MX-5 they have now is a, is a far sight better than the one we were racing because I, I was in one not too long ago. I was yeah. like, oh, this drives a lot better than I remember it driving. So either I've improved tremendously or <laughs> they've gotten the models to uh, a little bit closer to reality. Maybe. So oh, I'm getting little V into it. And you probably noticed this with, uh, with kids on cart tracks as well, is once they turn into a corner, they keep turned, if that makes sense. So they keep the steering lock on, get the accelerator on and then spin. And you'll see it at any cart track, in, even with grown-ups in a, in a rental cart. So I'm, I'm coaching her and I'm like, right, get it turned into the apex. And I see that she's turning and she's about to spin. And I couldn't think of like the words. So I'm like, right, open up the steering. She's like, huh, what do you mean open up the steering? So I went, um, unsteer, unsteer. And she got that and she unsteered. So there's me yelling at my nine-year-old, uh, steer, unsteer, brake, steer, unsteer. And now in my head, when I'm trying to stop myself oversteering on exit, I'm hearing my own voice yelling, unsteer. And it's the equivalent of righty-tighty. Yeah, we've gone over this before, I'm sure, but it's so important for people to make sure they are aware of where they're telling the car to go and that uh, that they know that the car is going to go where you point the front wheels. So it's pretty crucial that, that you're telling it the direction that you actually want to go, not where you wanted to go two seconds ago before yeah. something else happened and distracted you. Um, so that's one of yeah. the key things people need to be aware of. It's interesting with the kids, like the, the instinct to turn into the corner is is there, but the instinct to turn out of a corner isn't there. Like you have to deliberately go for the exit. So that's been fascinating revisiting it with them. All right, so let's get to the meat of today's show. Uh, we are going to talk about some some rig stuff because uh, Brad is in a strange rig situation. I am also, I'm in a dual rig situation as I'm between rigs and I'm yet to sell the old one. So I did a side by side between old and new. Uh, But first I want to talk a little bit about attacking and defending. Now, did you catch me and Van Jean's Barcelona video where we tried to kind of do a little demo video of a lap around Barcelona? Yes, I did, although I cannot remember specifics, so okay. <laughs> you're going to have to refresh me. So the, the Barcelona was where we did our, our round three of the Missed Apex F3 series, and instead of doing a hot lap at the beginning of the broadcast, me and Van Jean put together a lap where 
it was basically Van Gene was about half a second a lap down on me because he had colder tyres and more fuel. So even though I had pace on him, as you have said in the past, I have zero racecraft. So the video was basically me trying to get around Van Gene and trying to find ways to poke and prod inside, outside, and him masterfully against weak opposition, just defending. And I think if I had had 100 laps in that situation, I, w- I was not getting past him. Uh, so it's just interesting. Like Even as my pace has increased a bit, my racecraft hasn't. And I think that is my next point of, point of uh, focus. Okay, that's interesting. I mean, you don't have to go back to that example where I once several years ago said that your racecraft wasn't amazing. No, no, no. Hang on, hang on. You didn't say that. Let, let's let, let's let's be very clear here. You 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 went. I came off of a heat in a kart circuit, and you went, "Wow, Spanners, you have absolutely no racecraft at all." And I was like, "Oh, okay. That's definitely stuck in my head." I think um, with karting and sim racing combined now, though, you probably have exponentially increased your experience level. So I'd be surprised if you were at the same point as you were back then. Okay, but Alex Van Jean, a seasoned karter and sim racer, just had an answer for everything I was trying to do. Now, Barcelona, I think, is a track in particular where you can defend around the outside. So that probably exacerbated it. But he could see the moves coming. So like, I went wide into turn four at Barcelona at the top of the hill, the, 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 the tight sort of hairpin right-hander. And I went wide thinking, I'll undercut. He sees that and just just lifts just enough to stop me cutting back. And, you know, then into the next turn, I try and dive down deep. He sees that coming. He makes sure he's going around the outside. So just, yeah, I mean, there's not really a question there. It's just the discussion of why can't I beat Van Jean? Yeah, so I was, I was wondering how you were going to pose this to me and exactly what the question was going to be. Tell me how to is- beat Van Jean. This is one of those subjects which is a little bit less straightforward to explain than some of the how to drive fast things and techniques we've spoken about in the past, because each racing scenario is quite different from another. And and you really need to know the, the absolute specifics of that particular battle and the positioning of each car in order to comment on what you could have done differently, you know, how to defend a particular move. But we can certainly try and talk yeah. in general but bearing okay. in mind, these things are yeah, quite yeah. Of organic. Co- of course, and, and that's great because it means we can break it down and we can start off general and then break it down into several tiers over several episodes. But um, Matt, I always feel like in the pack, you're a little bit more aggressive and a bit more decisive than I am. And I will find if I am in a pack in a train of equally paced drivers, generally I'll find myself falling back because I, I don't want to cut them off and have a crash. I don't tend to go up the inside do you know what i mean i'm just less decisive and in that equally um equally paced train i'll just end up at the back of it well i'm glad that i've managed to give you that impression because i'll be honest it does not always feel like that when you're in the midst of of a heated battle um i don't know it for me it it really there's two judgments i make is this person fundamentally faster than me And how far away am I from the finish, given that information? And if the person is fundamentally faster, and I'm not even halfway through the race, once they get a sniff, once they get alongside, I judge it to be less risk to simply let them go rather than risk crashing, trying to defend a position that I'm almost certainly going to lose down the line anyway. You've definitely got to assess your opponent, haven't you? So if, so for example, in the F3 at the moment, as much as we were saying it's not crashy, about a third of the field does end up either spinning or, or crashing out. And then 
or not qualifying. There seems to be a trend for not qualifying or the guys who who uh, just fluff both their quali laps. So if there's a, a name that wasn't on your relative box two laps ago and then suddenly he's within two seconds, yeah, I'll just let that guy go. But Brad, it, it, you at the very kind of top end of pace, is there, is there ever any times where you go, it, it's not worth a pass, pass here or, or is it always finding a way by? If you are if you are faster and you've caught a car, regardless of what stage of the race you're at, if they are in a position where they're going to be holding you up because you know you've caught them on pace, um, unless there was a, a real reason for you to wait, like you were saving fuel or, or something to that effect, uh, you would always go for it, really. You know, and you'd actually want to do it sooner rather than later because, particularly in single seaters downforce dependent cars you're going to start damaging your tires the longer you sat behind them and obviously if they're holding you up then they're holding you up you don't want to be losing time in general in the race um it's slightly different as well in the formula one that i drive because it, the tires are quite fragile so being in someone's aero wake does damage your tires pretty quickly so again you have to be quite decisive in, in when you make the move and i guess you don't often find yourself in the position that me and matt do where suddenly someone who was 10 seconds behind is is behind you but I'm imagining you have experience maybe in the VRS having to defend faster drivers. Uh, I'm often having to defend faster drivers, particularly actually when the strategies overlap. Um, if someone's on a, a fresh set uh, of tires yeah. or if you're on an old set of tires, something like that. But but even just in general, I'm not the very fastest person out there. Um, so obviously we're all in splits relative to our ability. So I will quite often be in splits with some very, very quick people who are just quicker than me. And you do have to, you have to make a decision on how early in the race you are do you want to fight this particular battle or is it better to wait until, you know, you know, be quick, as quick as possible for as long as possible and fight the people who you're realistically battling later in the race? Well, this mirrors my experience in the, in the Norwich Life race because after my pit stops, I was in the GT4, but I got stuck in amongst the leaders of the TCR class. Is that faster, and, slower, slower? Uh, slower. Brad saying more or less the same yeah quite often tcr and, and gt4 cars are, are kind of lumped into the same category in lots of motorsport because they're so similar on pace but i, I take it in i racing the yeah. gt4 is a little bit quicker okay so you found yourself held up by a pack of slower cards cars uh, just just a couple and um getting around them was was really the most terrifying overtaking i had to do because the people i were overtaking were at the front end of the slower field and they were very good and because I had pitted, we were racing for position. So they were not, it was not blue flags, let them go. And I wound up having to make like uh, some terrifying overtakes to get around them. They weren't, they weren't going to hold me up because they knew my car was, you know, 10 seconds a lap faster, but they were not going to make it easy either. Yeah. Okay. So that's multi-class. So for now, let's keep it easy and talk about when we're kind of in the same car. So something like F3 or, or Formula One, I guess. Um, let's start with why is why we lose time in the battle. So I think it, it might sound obvious. It's because you're having to take more track because you're not taking the quickest lines. But fighting at um, at Montreal, for example, when uh, who was it up ahead? It was Colin Ward. Colin was fighting up ahead with a group of uh, three people. I could catch them when they were fighting. And I was like, maybe like three or four seconds a lap. As soon as they shuffled into an order and settled down, I couldn't touch them. Yeah, so depending on how ferociously people are defending and battling, you can be losing a lot of time. And, and actually, you can lose, 
quite it's quite a big range of how much time you can lose um i've quite often been in a position where i've been defending so hard and hanging someone right out to dry and you could be losing seconds per corner in that situation and then if it's just like a typical battle where someone's making a, a pass attempt and it doesn't come off and they and it's defended against you can still be losing you know a, a second or a couple of seconds over a lap so yes definitely there's a lot of time loss that that's something to take into account as the attacker or the defender in any situation, you know, can you yeah. afford this time loss quite often, you know, there might be a train of cars approaching you that you are going to have to deal with the longer you defend from this particular person. Whereas you might be able to make it to the end of the race, just losing this one position if you don't fight them too hard. So you really do have to like make a judgment call on what's best for your own race. Yeah. And it, it can depend on like, where's the main passing point on the track as well. So at Montreal, it's, you know, kind of the long back straight. If you're in touching distance from the final hairpin, you're going to get a chance down the back straight. So today someone was behind me, but in sector one. So we've got all lap to go before we get to that long straight. So I make him follow me through the chicanes. I take it nice and easy. And by the time we get to sector three, the car behind him has caught him. And then all of a sudden you see that gap disappear behind as well. So you can kind of use that to 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 draw people in, if you like. But it's, um yeah, it's interesting. It's that choice for me in the midfield as, uh, as to whether to let the car go and then hope that means I fall down the train faster or uh, to try and, you know, shuffle them back and make their life problematic. There are, of course, some situations where it's actually better to not be the leading car until you want to be, um, you know, maybe Spa, for example, um, that if, you, if you're if you not leading on the final lap, you're just tucked in in second place, that can quite often be the best place to be because you'll be able to slipstream past at the end of the Kemmel straight and then you're in front for all the part that they they can't pass you through. So yeah, another, there's so many factors that, that come into this and we haven't even got down to the nitty gritty of a battle itself and the track positioning. No, not at all. It's, it's, it, this is still should you have the battle it's whether to yield or to have it so as a quick aside today someone was down the inside of me on that last hairpin at montreal and i thought he's definitely going to get me down the back straight i know what i'll do i'll I'll let him send it down the inside go around the outside so that i've got the slipstream all the way down the back straight it didn't work because i sort of fluffed the hairpin but yeah now we're starting to get into just really thinking about it, like actually having some 4D chess going on instead of just trying to go fast. Yeah, and in that exact situation you're just talking about there, where you know you're approaching a crucial straight where the person behind is going to get a slipstream if they're, say, half a second behind you, you can very deliberately just allow them to get closer to you than the normal before you exit the corner. So maybe you you exit and they are either right on your gearbox, so they don't have any time to really get a slipstream before they have to pull out or you can actually allow them partially alongside so you're effectively in a drag race down the straight and they're not getting the benefit of actually having you know higher top speed that's nuts so actually letting them be closer can be beneficial i do this Ah. frequently yeah i mean in the formula one anything where you are effectively causing to punch a hole in the air and and they're going to get a nice slipstream from you if if they can be closer to you so that when they actually do make the pass they don't have quite as much closing speed um so it's not as a decisive pass sometimes they'll pop out to make the pass and the drag will just slow them down enough that you're still a nose ahead by the next corner whereas if they'd been further back at the beginning of the straight 
um, they would have had a stronger slipstream. They'd have had a, a higher speed differential between the two cars and, and they'd have just pulled clear easily by the end of the straight. I like this. I think we've naturally, Matt, gone into defending, which is great for you and me because I, I think you and I are, are defending more than we're attacking, to be fair to us. I would agree completely. And, and I love my own personal contribution because we're talking about the hairpin at Montreal is that if you've got someone, I like to just extend my braking zone a little bit, like like by about five or 10 meters, but just enough to make them slow down a little bit more than they wanted to. Ooh, and then trust. I can get on the <laughs> throttle early and create some separation while they're still trying to get around because it's been my observation that there's two types of people around that hairpin. People who like to go into it really fast and people who like to go into it kind of slow and then get on the throttle early. I'm definitely more of the second type of person, but it seemed to work out very well as far as defending went, because I also had a setup that was really quick down that straight. Oh, that's interesting. I've Because there's quite a lot on the exit. I've started V-ing that. So V it straight towards the corner, get it really kind of stopped and almost stopping in down into first gear. And then you've got a little bit of time to get it turned and twisted. And you get on the power quite early, um, but obviously you've got to then watch for it snapping. I saw loads of cars going going round on 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 uh, on exit there because yeah they've got the full lock on and they didn't have someone shouting unsteer at them, so ended up spinning. Uh, we're talking about defending here, and that reminds me of Luffield. So you've got Brooklands. Silverstone, and you've got Luffield, which is the right-hander that goes on forever. If you're in a battle there, Brad, and there's a car in front, sometimes you're waiting forever to get onto the power. You're waiting and you're waiting anyway, and the car in front of you, maybe he waits a little bit longer, he or she, beg your pardon, and that begs the question, how, how okay is it to linger? How okay is it to delay getting on the throttle? Uh, how okay is it to adjust your speed? Like Matt said, in the braking zone to affect the car behind. Yeah, it's it's totally okay, provided you're not doing something so extreme that you you give the person behind you no choice but to hit you. So in Luffield, I'd say probably the limit is actually braking. Um, right, if you brake yeah. test the person, they're going to go in the back of you. You're, you're causing some risk for yourself anyway at that point. But just hanging on and waiting to apply the throttle to to inconvenience them absolutely legitimate so you can do that you can break earlier like matt said what you don't want to do is be erratic and you know do something like i mentioned breaking in the middle of luffield because you're just going to cause an accident i was just going to say holy botas batman slowing the field down to the last second and then stomping on the throttle when no one expects oh, it you're what a genius plan the safety car at portugal but that, yeah. that's that's not a dissimilar analogy is it so the the problem for the car behind is there's a natural expectation to accelerate. If let's keep Luffield as an example, where there's there's a period where you're kind of us amateurs anyway are on some amount of throttle, just waiting for the time when we can go full throttle. If if you linger a bit too long, Brad, and I'm just expecting it or get impatient and then get on a very normal acceleration point and hit you, that's still my fault as the car behind. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, although. As the driver in front, if you've done that tactic and you've been hit when you've been yeah, very deliberately <laughs> delaying the throttle, you kind of know what's happened there, don't you? So you, you can't be too angry at the other person. But yeah, it is, it is their fault if they hit you from behind. 
But all you're doing is you're, you're basically, first of all, being slightly unpredictable. So you're able to get the jump on them. It's similar to that Bottas analogy you guys just used. Um, you know, the cars behind don't know when you're going to go. So they can't just anticipate and get on the power at the same time as you as they normally would if you're just driving it normally. And you're also um, shortening the length of the following straight. So they've got less time sat behind you in order to slipstream their way past. You know, you're, yeah. you're just waiting a little bit longer. There's a few fewer meters before the next braking zone. You've got to trust the car behind. So if it's a series where you know the people, that's better. Yeah, of course. And all of these things, any any defensive or attacking maneuver is made all the easier if you trust the cars around you. Okay, so I think we're we're right on the limit here of that feels like a little bit mucky. That feels like a slightly dark tactic to and, and it's and we're talking like a heartbeat here, aren't you? Like you, you go into the chicane, you're taking the speed off, you're trail braking, and it's just a one two, just skipping a beat, just an octave. I don't really know music terms, I don't know why I'm using that. Just a bar, just a few beats, Matt, before you get back on the throttle, and that can be enough to just unsettle the car behind's plan. Yeah, well, and it's the same thing with braking. If I normally brake at the at the 100-meter marker and I brake at the 110 marker and I brake a little easier and a little bit longer, yeah. the car from behind suddenly has greater closing speed and they're going to have to they're going to take more speed off than they want. Yeah. Just just that little tiny bit. It's not you're not really brake checking them. Yeah. You're simply taking a different trajectory into the turn that gives you the advantage exiting it. And it's not just like he's not doing his normal braking just from earlier, is he? He's he's lengthening it. So. Yeah, I haven't just stopped on my brakes at like the three marker instead of the one marker going into the final well, corner Matt, of Canada. That was an accident. It's because in VR, it's not always crystal clear. So I broke at the three instead of the two. Matt was a second behind me and he absolutely shimped and moaned for the rest of the race because he was behind and that let the guy in front close up. That was just a misjudgment. I'm very, very sorry, Brad. So whilst we're on, so I like this. I like the way we're talking about this because we're we're straight into the things you you know you you're allowed to do, but they're a bit naughty. So this is good. This is a good topic. Um, on this same subject, in terms of attacking, it's quite similar to when you you feign a move, and I find this works a lot on iRacing. You feign a move that you are you are not going to attempt. You have yeah. no intention of dive bombing this person. But just at the last minute, you kind of hover in their mirrors and make a bit of a dart to the inside, totally under control. You know, you, you're well, you're you're not going to lose, you're not going to lock up a front wheel or anything. You're not going to hit them. You're just making it look in their mirrors like you might you might be diving down the inside. And quite often, if that driver is aware and they are paying attention to their mirrors, they will just leave a car's width, which they weren't going to do. And that suddenly opens up your overtaking opportunity or at least some advantage to you for the next corner. That works on me. If you do that on me, it works. And I don't know if this is a VR thing, but the objects in the little small virtual mirrors are way closer than the big bar mirror that you get at the top to the point where I can't now not have those little pretend virtual mirrors on because it adds an element of realism. And when they're black now, it feels really, really strange. However... The objects seem so close. So yes, if you pull out even from like half a second back, it looks like you're about to take a dive. So that tactic definitely uh, works on me, Brad. And it's also quite sensible as the defending car to even if the person behind is doing this as kind of a a sneaky dive, it's quite a good idea to leave them a bit of room anyway, because sometimes it will be real. So if you've got a little bit of a pace advantage on the car in front, so put yourself in the situation I was with uh, with Van Gene. It's a guy who's not going to be a pushover. 
but for whatever reason in that time and place i've got a bit more pace when i had failed over attempts uh, overtaking attempts i knew i was going to get back to him so is it worth staying offline in your lunge position so you you're showing him your full front wing in the mirror and and basically sacrificing a little bit of your entry to just go around and to continue that role play, if you like. like, You don't necessarily want to dive back to the outside through their dirty air, if that makes sense. Yeah, normally by that point, it's too late to, to change your mind and go back. You're kind of, you're, you're taking a little bit of corner entry speed sacrifice for the opportunity to force them into an error. So you're not going to do it in a way which is going to massively slow you down. You're just hoping that that driver in front is going to leave half a car's width or a car's width that they weren't going to do before. Okay, so let's... Let's keep with our theme of using the defending driver as our point of reference. So I've got Brad Philpot there, who I've managed to keep behind me for 14 laps because I've so improved my wheel-to-wheel prowess. You show me your front wing in my mirror. I don't want to let you by. How do I know when I, when I do defend you? How do I know when to take my apex? How do I know when to leave you room, try and defend around the outside, and even when to yield? Yeah, so the only surefire way to know is to is to actually see the other car in the mirror and be very aware of their position. There is obviously uh, an element of judging the closing speed and the angle that that car was going into the corner at. You can hopefully, depending on how aware you are and how experienced you, you are, work out where they're going to arrive. Uh, you know, you're, you're going to work out that, okay, I've pinched that driver tight there. They're going to have to have slowed down to a, a particular speed. Now I can cut back in because, you know, I was going X amount faster than them. But again, this is all down to, it's very situational and it's, it's very much down to how much information you've been able to glean in the, in the preceding yeah. situation. Okay. But, but you are defending. So you're going to take your normal breaking point, maybe try and break as late as you can to give yourself every chance of defending. As you get on the brakes, are you still on the brakes looking in your mirror, judging, can I take the apex or is it too late by then? You have to like say for example turn one at Barcelona when I was defending I found I could go maybe another 10 15 meters forward when I was defending around the outside and that would allow me to then defend around the outside so when are you making those decisions yeah so it's all completely real time and and us three all in VR have this big advantage over flatheads oh, yeah. because <laughs> you you can just look you know if you're not sure if the mirror isn't that clear by the time you're in a wheel to wheel situation I'm always just looking across at the driver next to me to to change what I'm doing based on what they're doing. So if you can't see them, obviously you're going to have to have some kind of guesswork and leave a bigger margin. If you can physically look across at them and you know exactly where that car is, you can take a lot more liberty yeah. because you can you can really squeeze them or you know you won't have to go as wide as you might have had to go if you were half guessing where they were. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I, I like just to pick a real world example that I think people will know. Barcelona, which is the next up and coming F1 Grand Prix. We've just done turn nine over the top of the hill, nearly flat out to the right. And then we've got what is now the remodeled turn 10. So it's a, a long straight into a big stop zone. It's a left-hander, this particular one. We found ourselves on the outside in this situation we're talking about, Brad. You've showed the nose down the inside. Am I in the wrong place then? Generally, for that kind of turn, I'm on the outside. Have I, have I, kind of, have I given you too much of an advantage there? Because we were criticising Bottas at Portimao for not covering the inside. The second I've got Brad up the inside of turn 10, in Barcelona, should I already have been guarding the inside? When do I know how to move? Yeah, pretty much. So that's quite a similar situation where you've got a tight hairpin left. Um, so we were criticising Bottas at, at Portugal because it's such a tight left-hander. If a car dives down your inside, you are effectively hung out to dry. Yeah, They've got done. a much shorter line and they will have the high ground as you exit the corner. Similar to that at Barcelona, the same corner, the same kind of corner you're talking about, tight hairpin left. If if the situation arises quite late on and the driver is coming from quite far back and they end up yeah. roughly alongside you at the apex, you've still got some room to fight. They're pinched tight to the inside and you can hang on around the outside and you might be able to get a better exit than them and get some, you know, get ahead again. But if they're alongside you or very close behind you as you're approaching the braking zone, it's probably too late so if you're cooked. staying on the outside. Yeah. Because they're going to be so far past you up the inside that you you won't be you'll have lost too much ground at that point. So there, there's two slight differences there. If they're breaking late to get alongside you, the outside can be okay. If they're close to you already and they're breaking to overtake you, it's too late. So you shouldn't yeah. cover the inside. So, yeah. and actually, as the defending driver, you need to you need to work out what's best because if I'm defending from someone who's a little bit further back and they might make a pass attempt, I might stay on the racing line on the right and hang around the outside and, the and leave just enough room if they get there exactly but, but if, if, if we judge really yeah. close if they're going to slipstream past i'm on the inside already nice that is actually useful information matt i will apply that in the 10 15 race yeah well that was uh, one of the only overtakes i i had was into turn 10 and i had to pass on the inside and again i found it to be terrifying because because the person I could see was not really going to push their breaking point any earlier. I wasn't going to be able to get back over onto the racing line. And I was still in a position where I was going to have to get the car stopped and turned with way less room than usual. 
and and that's my normal thing is is I always want to be as a defending driver on the line that on the racing line, and I want to leave the other the, a passing driver as little room as possible to accomplish the to accomplish the maneuver they're going to have to maneuver to get ahead of me. So let's say in this hypothetical situation, you've not been proactive enough. You've been Bottas and <laughs> you've allowed okay. the, the attacking car down that straight to get the inside, to get the, the positioning that they want. At that point, it's not all over. You can still, depending on the exact situation, prov- providing they haven't actually got all the way past you by this point, you can still squeeze them. So you don't have to allow them the full width of the track. You know, you don't have to go back over to the right and give them two thirds of the track to make the corner as well as possible. You can keep them pinched on the inside and really make sure they have to go as slow as possible into that corner. So you're getting the maximum advantage to try and keep fighting it out at the next corner. Sorry, Matt. A great example of that is turn one, at the Nürburgring GP circuit, where actually it's tricky to break the, just the way the, ground is and the way it dives down into the apex if you can keep that inside car uncomfortably and on the marbles i guess if marbles are left on a lot of cars struggle to get it then stopped and you could just wait for them to fly past the apex yeah exactly so i'm going to ask you about this because this is very related to what you're saying if i have a car let's say i don't get a great exit out of the last turn at Barcelona, I'm going down the straight and I, there's someone, they're not close enough to just get all the way next to me, but they're definitely going to have enough on me to make a move. A lot of times I will try and occupy the exact middle of the track and then I'll just see which way they, they are tended. <laughs> like and as they get closer, I will just start to move that way and make them go the other way and leave them as little room as possible to get round me that way. Well, here, we're, this is great, Brad. We're talking about what can you do on the straight? Yeah, that's that's a very good technique, actually, Matt. Actually, quite an advanced technique. It's very good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you you basically are becoming a bit unpredictable at that point. They don't know exactly which way you're going to go. They are hopefully assuming that you're not going to actually drive into them. So they know once they've committed to left or right, that you're not going to drive any further across than to where they are. Um, but they have to make a decision. Do they want to go right or left? And down the main straight at Barcelona towards turn one is a real typical example of this. Um, And so, yeah, kind of hovering somewhere in the middle and then just edging across to the side that they choose to go is actually a really good tactic. And if they were sensible, what they'd do is they'd pass you as close as possible to you to not allow you any room to move across. Because if they they pass you on the right and there's a car's width between the two cars... Occupy that. Yeah, you can then pinch them up to the inside. Whereas if they pass you very close, a millimeter away from you, unless you actually make contact with them, there's there's nothing that you can do to make it harder for them at that point. Right, I've been I've been terrible here, Brad. I've been terrible. As soon as someone's picked a side, I've gone. If they go inside, I go right. Well, I'll just resume all the way to the outside and prepare for the corner. I, I shouldn't be doing that at all. You should be doing that when you get to the corner. Yes. Because you want to basically give them no space until the last moment where you give yourself loads of space to try and really get the best possible entry to the corner and maybe cut back on them. So you you give them no option but to break and and enter the corner tight to the inside. This is all good. You you yourself have most of the track left to use when you decide to use it. This is exactly what I hoped we would be getting out of this, like actual legit. Because a track like Montreal, for example, you only have to hold someone up for a few corners uh, before they get in trouble 
with the cars behind. So I want to get Matt's thing clear that he was talking about. So Matt goes in the middle and he goes, right, you choose. They decide to go left. Let's call that the outside. Matt will then start to come over left with him just a little, just to try and narrow that option. If he continues going left and leaves any space, Matt also goes left to occupy the space in between the two cars. And the guy has now, he's picked the outside, but he's got very little of the outside. Yeah, so it's actually, strangely, the two different situations, whether they go right or left, changes the reason you're squeezing them. If they go to the right, you're squeezing them to disadvantage them as much as possible. If they go left, you're squeezing them to give you the most advantage right. possible into the corner. Yes, because assuming you're it's a right-hander. To the- We're assuming it's yes. a right-hander here, yeah. Yes, at Barcelona, for example, this is where this is the case. So Brilliant. you're just trying to get as close to the racing line as possible so you can enter the corner as quickly as possible. I love it. Yeah, well, it's like the thing where if they choose to go that way and you've, you've, you've accidentally left them enough room, you've got them pinned all the way against the edge of the track. So you have all the rest of the track to use for yourself. And, and because you're on the inside, you can pick a later breaking point and really disadvantage them. On the other hand, if they see that starting to happen and switch lanes, now you've made them go a lot farther around. And the moment you see them go to the inside, you don't move anymore. And again, you're denying them the usage of the track. And then you can swing outside, slow up a little early and try and cut back so as to get the jump on them around turn three. Oh, my God. I'm doing none of this, by the way, guys. So this is all such low-hanging fruit for me. I'm doing nothing. I'm more or less just waving people by um, or, or as effectively I'm doing that by not employing any of these techniques. So I can't get to wait to get out there and, and start exploring these. This is a rich topic. There's loads to go. And I've already made notes on future episodes because we've not even finished, not even close to finishing defending as the defending car. But the last topic I want to do here, because I do want to talk a little bit of kit. So uh, briefly on this, Brad. Let's talk Rosberg defending against Hamilton in Austria in the Red Bull ring. I think it was 2015. We had loads of arguments about this at, at the time. So I want to know if I can do a Rosberg. So it was a, it was a right-hander. Hamilton's got the overspeed. He's, he's round the outside. Rosberg's decided to hold the inside. They get to the apex roughly at the same time. But at the early part of the apex, what Rosberg decides to do is, is effectively not continue turning around the corner in his lane. He moves all the way to the outside of the lane. And they're, they're roughly around the middle of the corner, slightly before the middle of the corner, by the time they get to the edge of the track. And Lewis Hamilton has been very firmly shown the outside. So that's very much like a block pass, I guess. How will that go down if I do it in F3, in iRacing, against you? Yeah, so you're, you are relying on the other driver not crashing into you. So so we're just going to I'll put that out there as a caveat. You're assuming the driver you're battling understands the situation and they are in control of their car. Because if you just did this on a, a kind of low split with a bunch of people <laughs> yeah, you yeah, didn't know, yeah, you're, you're running right. a very high risk of having a crash at this point. But we're talking about what you're allowed to do and what when yeah. battling an experienced good driver um, would be acceptable or would work. So I'm the inside car in all these scenarios we've been talking about, except... Rather than making a concerted effort to turn, I'll go all the way to the outside and effectively block you. Yeah. So assuming you've left me just enough space to exist, so you've run me right out to the edge of the track. I know the corner is turning off to our right, but the track is wide enough that I'm just having to stay left because you're on my right-hand side. I can't go through you. So I'm having to wait to turn until you allow me to turn. Yes. 
that's absolutely fine and legitimate. And if you're battling me, I will not drive into you until we get to the point where I run out of space. So if there was a wall on the outside and you keep squeezing me up until the point where there's a wall, I, eventually I'm going to turn right. But if there's grass, I probably am going to allow you to force me off the track rather than make contact and just moan at you on the voice chat. But <laughs> and at that point, you would be being out of order um, and I would probably run you, you know, try and do something equally aggressive to you if I got back up to you. But I wouldn't turn in. Um, other drivers also shouldn't turn in. If there's a car next to you, regardless of how rude they're being, you shouldn't drive into them whilst you are still being given room to exist. So iRacing's systems won't punish you, but I do that to you, and it goes to uh, Molden, uh, Mist Apex Race Control, for our series to be adjudicated later. Does Do I get any kind of punishment? Do I get a warning? Do I get told, hey, don't do that again? You shouldn't do. Um, you know, the other driver might say to you, oh, that was a bit rude, but in, in terms of what I would accept as acceptable racecraft it's an extreme tactic and it's something you would use on the last lap or on the last couple of laps when you're really trying to hold off a faster car at all costs and it's about as far as you can go but it's still legitimate in my eyes i would just add the caveat that if the car on the outside is unable to complete the term turn because you went that far then i see that as a penalty and i see it as being very different is on the exit of a turn, if my front wheels are, are ahead of yours, I can pick my line on the outside and create that disappearing triangle and you're eventually going to have to back off. So I can go straight, not turn right, make you go straight. But if I don't leave you room to get round with at least two wheels on the track or at least one wheel on the white line or whatever the rule is, then I feel like for my personal sense of ethics, I, I have transgressed. Mm, yeah, I, I think I find myself on Matt's side of things, which I don't like. Yeah, so two things. I agree with Matt on the first point entirely. Um, the the limit becomes the point where the car on the outside can no longer actually make the corner. So I'm I'm fully on on board with that one. The second, the disappearing triangle on the on the exit, I, I don't actually agree with. If there's any yeah. overlap, you can't make the triangle disappear. I'm sorry, there's a car still next to you in my eyes. Unfortunately, I agree with you, Brad. But F1 isn't stewarded like that, and they don't marshal it like that. And the Verstappen manoeuvre, and in fact, the Hamilton manoeuvre, because Hamilton used to do that to Rosberg all the time. He did it in Bahrain. He did it in Canada. Verstappen does it. Verstappen just did it at Imola to Hamilton, and Hamilton complained. It's like, no, dude, that's your move. He learned that from you. But because right at the top of motorsport, they don't, they don't penalise that. There is this impression all the way down through sim racing, karting and everything, Matt, that you're allowed to shut the door on the exit. Yeah, well, to be fair, we rarely see that maneuver taken to the point where the outside car is four wheels off the track. Because usually if I've gone to the inside and I'm exiting ahead of you and my car is clearly pointed at that white line, the, the person on the outside of that recognizes the situation. They'll push it as far as they can, but they're not, they're not going to drive off the track just to make a point that they're going to lose anyway. Brilliant. Look, we've got loads. We've got loads now, I think, that we'll actually have like a wheel to wheel segment of every episode. Good. I'm glad we're going down this path. Please, please, please just help me stop getting mugged in every single train I'm in. Uh, we will we will come back to attacking and defending in another episode. But I want to finish off, Brad, by talking sim racing politics, the world of sim racing. And you mentioned that you did, you haven't had a rig for three weeks. 
why? Yeah, so we're not broadcasting video here. But no. if we were, as you guys can see, there is an empty space behind me where <laughs> my VR headset's hung on the wall, but it's not next to a rig. And that's because there isn't one here. I'm not going to go into the full details because I don't want to mention any particular names have to mention in brands, a negative no. way, at least. Um, but essentially, the, the agreement I had with my simulator rig sponsor um, is no longer agreed. Um, so that rig has, has gone. Um, uh, and it was great. I, I really liked it, as I, I've spoken about on here before. Yeah. Um, but fortunately, um, I have agreed uh, a deal with their main rival, who, in nice. my opinion, are better <laughs> anyway. Um, and, and I'm getting the uh, I'm getting the, the top of the range version of their rig, and it's on on its way to me right now. But so, I already got Brad fluenced into getting the other one. Yeah. So so don't worry because all of these aluminium yeah, you know, high end yeah. rigs are essentially the same. But what's different is I think what people would notice the most is probably the customer service experience and and you know the the quality of yeah. the interactions between you <laughs> and the company. So you you fortunately didn't have any issues, I don't think. No. Um, and and I certainly haven't had any issues with. I, I can mention the the good name anyway. So SimLab <laughs> are the company that my new rig's coming from. Now that so, I, I wanted the SimLab, I looked at the SimLab. It wasn't available in the UK, and I was just a little bit twitchy about things getting stuck in customs or getting extra custom charges. Won't be a problem for you if it's being provided. I will say that I got mine through of the other brand through Demon Tweaks, and their customer service was like awesome. Three times I dithered while I was deciding, phoned them up and some bloke was just chatting through like different needs and different seats and all that kind of stuff. So I had a really good experience. So I'll give Demon Tweaks a shout out. Not that they've given me a discount or anything, but you're sorted. That's the good thing. There's a, a rig on its way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, and what's really nice is I didn't even go in and ask these guys to, to give me a free rig or anything. I actually was going, I, I kind of, sucked it up and i was at the point where i was just deciding you know if i'm gonna have to buy a new rig here i'm gonna get the one i really want which was it's called a p1x and um and when i spoke to i spoke to a couple of friends and they happened to know the main guy in charge of the company and and after saying to him after giving him my story um basically saying i'm now without a simulator um he very kindly basically said look we don't want anything from you if you think it's a good piece of equipment tell people but we're going to send you one right now. And so it's on its way. Well, so brilliant. I can't and, wait. and look, I'm more than happy for you to, all contributors are more than happy for you to talk about your partners and stuff like that and people who sponsor you. And I know that you'll give it an honest appraisal as well. So it would be interesting to get a side by side between those two brands. And I'm happy to talk about which brand is which in the future, when perhaps when we're not so mardy at them. Yeah, exactly. And I'm keen not to not to slate anyone. But the reason that this is interesting, and this isn't a politics thing, the reason that I'm particularly excited about this is because this has given me the opportunity to completely reprofile my simulator room. So I've moved a few things around and, and given myself more space. Um, and I'm going to make this new one into a dedicated single-seater position rig. So Ooh, the seat is no longer okay. a, a GT-style upright seat. It's, it's this new thing called a Sparco GP, which is... It's a simulator seat, but it's made by Sparco and it's made in a Formula One seat position. So very reclined. And I'm going to do my best to make everything ergonomically exactly as it would be if I was sat in a Formula One car. But you, I mean, you are a GT driver. You are a sports car driver. You you know, you're the Nordschleifer class champion. Why are you going to have a rig that doesn't let you comfortably do that? First of all, I don't tend to do a lot of practice for any car racing because there's not a lot of car racing happening. I don't think I'm doing anything this year. Oh, this no. Point. So 
it's all, all going to be carting for me this year. So the the sim doesn't have to kind of reflect my real. Um, real and and how how's carting going for you so far? I don't want to tell any tales, but you've got, had a broken rib and a busted neck so far this year. Yeah, so I'm just recovering from old person injuries, <laughs> but it's going the right direction. Basically, I'm just super excited about being back in a in a cart, and I'm going to be racing for a really good team at the next nice. race. Yeah, it's been good. But anyway, the the rig can obviously always be adjusted. So if I was training for Nurburgring 24 hours next year in a GC4 car or something, I can quite easily change it. But the fact is, the vast majority of my sim racing is doing stuff like you guys, single seaters. So why not make it exactly right for a single seater? I'm wondering how much you think it will, will make a difference. I don't know about you, Matt. I I am fairly able in VR to kid on that my legs really are up in the air. Like once I'm in the position, it doesn't affect me too much. I can lose the fact that I'm in a GT seat position. I don't know. I mean, I, I strap my wheel to a desk. I've got my <laughs> I've got my paddles balanced on some books and wedged up against a wall. You know, you guys are playing in a completely different league than me when it, when it comes to reality in your seating position. If anyone is actually interested, I'm going to be live streaming the build. So it's going to be the most boring live stream ever, but I'll also make a, a proper, you know, um, time-lapse video of, of the whole process that you can watch in probably three minutes. But I'm going to put the whole like eight-hour build video just as a live stream so I can chat to people. They can tell me what I'm doing wrong. I can give them like my full live experience in the sim room here. Uh, I, if you want, I will volunteer to guest as like a snooker style commentator and uh, he's reaching for the eight millimeter that that's a mistake from here from this distance it is hard to tell looks like a six mil from here yeah that'd be great we'll give, um, it, we'll but give yeah, some of that head to my youtube channel to watch that i mean it's not the best plug of a youtube channel i've ever heard watch me slowly build an aluminium rig for eight hours yeah, but it's about the interaction. It's about the chat. It's, it's like being four laps down in an endurance race. You're not watching that stream for the racing, are you? You're just watching it to chat with people. True. If you're going to watch his YouTube channel, go watch his How to Drive the Norge Life yeah, videos. Man. Uh, we've got to the end of the allocated recording time. I did want to talk about very quickly, if we've got time, we've got five minutes, we've got a few minutes. Okay, so patrons bought me the load cell pedals. Very, very fantastic. Amazing. They were great, but it made the play seat challenge lift. It made the play seat challenge, it pushed the limits of what that could do. I got Brad fluenced into the rig, and then I got Brad fluenced further into buying that cheaper than my current T300. T, was it? T, TSPC? TSPC. Yes. TSPC. Okay, great. So that's the three main elements, but I still have all the old gear. So my thing was just a comparison between the setup I've got now, and then I reassembled that old setup. I haven't sold it yet. I could maybe sell it as a complete kit, but it was the T300, the play seat, and the T3PA pedals with the load cell mod, which I bought secondhand from our friend Danny. And then going back to that, I, I went to Montreal in the F3, which is the track that we've been doing this week, to see whether or not I could replicate the lap times. And I got into the car. It felt fine. It's still a great piece of kit. The brakes are good. The wheel is good. The placey challenge is good. But I couldn't get within two seconds of the time, Brad. And obviously, like, I didn't give myself hours and hours to get used to using those brakes again. I don't know exactly what it is, but my time was miles off. Another person, it wouldn't make a difference. For me, it did. 
I, I have this exact same thing. I can't go backwards. And when I've tried even just driving with a, a screen or even triple screens, where in the past I would have just accepted it as normal and I never, I never thought it slowed me down. Going back to that now, I really struggle. And I've actually even dedicated time to it, you know, really sat down to try and get close to my VR times. I'm just nowhere near. And I'm sure that would be the same if I went back to a, you know, if I, if I downgraded to a TSPC or, um, <laughs> or, or non-hydraulic pedal. But yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it's just hard to... one part of it is that you have the muscle memory and you're just used to a certain thing. It doesn't matter whether it's better or not. It's just, you're used to that. People have won world championships with a Logitech G25 in the past. But I think there's also an element of you're just, you're kind of used to the quality of the new version. It just does what you want it to a little bit better. And and your heart's not in it as well. There's a psychological aspect. You're like, oh, this isn't the thing that I want. So maybe I'll maybe before we sell that on, I'll, I'll give it another go. Maybe I'll do a bit more of a side by side comparison and a little bit more of a deep dive. I, I did mean to leave more time for this, but I know some people in the Slack group were just asking what was the the headline figure. Couldn't get within two seconds of my current setup time. I'm sure I could improve that. I think we know what we're going to talk about in future shows. We're going to talk about the Fanatec, the Mini. We, we've touched on it a couple of times but i think we'll get brad's view on whether or not we should get that we've got loads more defending and attacking stuff to talk about as well and we've had adam rosales's question about uh, about gear shifting which we've not we've not addressed at all in this series so pretty packed schedule ahead matt i suggest we pick that up next thursday i am looking forward to it because there are many many questions and i i love i have found that changing the gearing sometimes in the car will gain me tenths of a second so i can't wait to get to the subject oh my god i've not even thought of that lots to learn who who'd have thought i thought we could just learn everything about iRacing in 18 episodes of a shed podcast turns out you can't follow me at spanners ready please at mattpt55 if you must but definitely go and check out brad's youtube channel by searching for brad philpot on youtube where you can watch him slowly build things and presumably take breaks to eat pizza and stuff I, I just doesn't seem like a good idea i'm just saying i i just i'm looking forward to it just having some company because it was very lonely <laughs> last time i built one of these i'm just looking forward to you using the tools with a broken rib i think that'll be the most entertaining part just watching an aging Sad. gt driver going using his feet to try and make it yeah <laughs> get tight enough yeah it's gonna be sad excellent before we go down the feet and tooling foxhole let's get out of here guys we'll see you next thursday until then work hard be kind have fun and don't get brad fluenced oh my god have you seen how many of our iRacing group have now got aluminium rigs since we've started talking about this i think we should definitely get a cut from the major aluminium rig manufacturers see if we can get like a discount code oh yeah obviously if you're gonna buy a sim lab tell them i sent you that's the other thing no, tell them I sent you. No, why is it? Why is it all about you? Oh yeah, because you're a professional race driver and really good at sim driving. Fine, whatever. <laughs>